Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Get your Bibles out if you would and open them to Luke chapter 4, verse 38. We'll read there in just a moment. We started the service today uh, with that song about miracles up on the screen and... and uh, and uh, we have been talking about miracles for a few weeks now and uh, from different perspectives. But one of the greatest miracles areas, I guess you'd say, that, it, that is in the life of Jesus has to do with the dominion and power over the works of darkness that, were, that are in the world, that were in the world at that time and are in the world still to this day. And over the works of darkness that hold certain people in uh, captivity to certain kinds of sins and sicknesses and different kinds of things. And as we talk about moving mountains, sometimes the mountain that needs to be moved is of, uh, of the enemy's origin in our life and it needs to be dealt with. So today is part one of a two-part message called Overcoming the Enemy in Jesus' name. Amen? So there are many accounts in the Bible of people who are delivered from something that has its basis in this realm of darkness. Some of them, like the demoniac that was across the Sea of Galilee that Jesus went specifically to speak with, we see a great manifestation taking place in that man where he's really acting out. He's, he's uh, running through the tombs naked. He's chained up, but he breaks chains. And, uh, and, the only, and by the way, this is the only time that Jesus ever asked the name of a demon. And he says, what is your name? And he says, legion. And, uh, and Jesus rebukes a legion of demons out of this man into a herd of pigs. And that's like a big spectacular spectacular thing, but, norm, but, but that's like kind of outside the norm. No, normally, it's not quite that uh, well-defined, if you will, in terms of a, a form of possession or things like that in a person's life. Uh, so so it, other people in the Bible, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but there was a boy who was brought to Jesus who it says a spirit would cause him to throw himself into the water as if to kill himself, to drown himself, or throw him into the fire. And so we see something that we may not initially recognize. We just think, oh, there's something wrong with that boy, but we don't understand that there's something really happening there that uh, he needs to be set free from, not simply healed from, but set free from. Does that make sense? And then uh, there's another man, uh, and I'm not covering all the cases, but there's another man who was, couldn't speak, he couldn't hear, and in this case, it wasn't a matter of healing, but Jesus delivered him from a spirit, an evil spirit, and when that took place, he was set free from that as well. And it, Jesus showed in that story that the cause of that was demonic. And there are many times that healing the sick and casting out demons overlap quite a bit in the Scripture. I'm going to show you that right off the bat here as we start getting into that. And sometimes they're even synonymous. Not only do they overlap, but they're synonymous. So let's look at our text, Luke 4, 38 through 41 here. It says that Jesus left the synagogue and went into the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now, we aren't told the cause of the fever, but it's very interesting. I don't know about you. Whenever I have a fever and the fever breaks, I'm still a, a wreck for a while. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I lay around, feel sorry for myself. But this is a, a tremendous, wonderful miracle that seems so instantaneous that she gets up at once and begins to, to wait on them. But in that first, uh, in, in verse 39, I want you to notice that word rebuked. He rebuked the fever. So we don't know the origin per se of that fever, but then what happens in verse 40, it says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. 
Moreover, and, and, and so there's this connection. When it says moreover, it's, it's connecting back to what just happened. It says, moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them. Here's that word again, rebuked. And he would not allow them to speak because he, they knew he was the Messiah. Notice that the Lord is both rebuking a fever in Peter's mother-in-law, but now also rebuking demons. And it's the same word in the original language, that there's, there's this description of what happened in the crowd is happening seamlessly in talking about a healing. And we see deliverance is taking place from people in the same context. And so uh, I find that we tend to separate those things in our modern day. We tend to separate, well, people have uh, health issues that they need healing from, and then we perhaps, and sometimes we don't want to talk about this stuff, but we're going to talk about it today and next week, by the way. And, uh, but we need to talk about this because it was a huge part of Jesus' ministry. And over in this other category, we try to keep these things way separate from one another. We think, well, maybe there's some people that, are, that have a problem with a demonic influence in their life or something. We're not really sure how that all works. And frankly, we'd rather not deal with that, so we just stay over here in this realm. Tracking what I'm saying. But I'm, gonna try, I'm trying to show you that biblically and scripturally, there is way too much overlap to keep these things completely separate. And, and, and let me explain as I go. But in Mark 6, uh, and these scriptures will just show up on the screen here as we go through, Jesus is sending out his disciples to do the same kinds of things that Jesus has been doing. It says in Mark 6, uh, verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them, watch this, authority over impure spirits. Now, in verse 12, it says, They went out and preached that people should repent. Good, we got that, salvation. They drove out many demons. You know, like, just, it's just a matter of course, right? We preach the gospel, we drive out demons, and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And see how these things are all kind of connecting together. Luke 9, 1 through 3, uh, that, uh, when he called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. There it is again, this connection. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Notice again how driving out demons and curing diseases are connected. Later on in the book of Acts, the uh, apostles continued the work of Jesus as he told them that they should do. And it says uh, in Acts 5.16, crowds gathered around from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, all of them were healed. Notice it's just using the word healing to describe even the removal of impure spirits from people. Acts chapter 8 we see Philip has the same kind of ministry taking, kingdom ministry, where the kingdom of God is advancing into the realms of darkness. It says in Acts 8, 7 and 8, uh, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Again, we try to separate those categories thinking, well, you know, if they're paralyzed or lame, that's a health issue, and, and yet there seems to be, again, this overlap. Perhaps some of those are, who are paralyzed or lame uh, and we don't mean lame like when you're lame. No, we're talking about, you know, really being lame here. And, uh, <clears throat> but perhaps some of those are connected to demonic activity. Peter will later sum summarize the healing power of Jesus when he meets with Cornelius and the people there. And, and he, this is what he says about Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were where, what under the power of the devil. So, so, so we've got to kind of make sure we understand that there, there can be a connection between these things. It says because God was with him. And the last thing I want to do is drum, drum up some kind of unhealthy interest in the realm of darkness and Satan and his demons. I'm not about that today, but I think it would be uh, very unwise to deny their existence and deny the existence of the realm of evil around us. I recently read this quote by C.S. Lewis. 
that, and I just love how he puts this. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, meaning demons and the, the devil himself. He says one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. It's an error to think that every sickness is caused by a demon. It is error to think that none are. It is error to think that every sin is motivated by a demon. It's an error to think that none are. It's an error to think that excessive manifestations of things like fear, anger, lust, and works of the flesh, other things, I mean, I could go on and on, are all produced by demons, but it's an error to think that none of them are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. This is a tough subject uh, to talk about, but I ask you to help us to sort some of this stuff out in our hearts. God, the last thing I want anybody to walk away with today is any kind of fear because you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But Lord, we neither do we want to walk around in ignorance either and thinking that we, uh, we're doing the work of the gospel and the kingdom when we are not dealing with this subject. For Lord, you dealt with it regularly and powerfully, Lord, and you are in us now. And so help us to understand that we, we may run across this as, as well and to be uh, ready for what you've called us to do in Jesus Christ's name. Amen? Amen. When I was a child, I, um, I, I really, I don't know where it all came from. I don't know if my, I, I really can't even tell you. Maybe my mom let me watch shows on TV that I shouldn't have watched, but I had this sort of overwhelming fear when I was, I was really afraid to be alone. I was really afraid to be in dark places alone, you know, in a room like, and uh, one of the worst things in my life, I remember as a, as a, uh, you know, probably 12 through 14 year old was um, taking the trash out of the house because we kept all our trash in a bin down in the basement. Now the basement was, was this dark room. I think there was a light, but you had to go to the other end of the room and pull on a string. And, and that was a long travel for me through a very, very dark room. And, uh, and so you'd open this door and there was a, there were the trash bins in there. And I remember time after time being told to take out the trash and I dreaded it. And I would end up picking up that bag and I'd sneak down those stairs and open that cruddy door and squeak, you know, all that stuff. And I'd throw the bag in and and book it out, shut the door. And I, I, you know, I'm not saying anything was happening, but I always felt like something was right at my heels. Something was nipping at my heels and coming after me. And as a kid, you know, I was just freaked out and I hated, I hated, I hated that kind of thing. I was afraid like no other. And I I don't know where those tentacles got into me as a child, but I carried it into uh, my adulthood even later on. As I would go into dark buildings, I used to, in our church down in in, uh, Winston, uh, I would walk into that church and I would, uh, I would be so afraid in the dark, even though I knew the Lord by this time. Younger, I didn't know the Lord, but even now I knew the Lord, but I'd still have that terrible fear that there was something in the building. And I knew I had to get free from that fear. And many of you can relate to this. And I know, like even my wife, she has a, she, when she was younger, she had an a, a unrealistic, <laughs> crazy fear of spiders. Now, mind you, she still doesn't care for them now, okay? She's still not very fond of spiders, but, but it was a, a, an unhealthy kind of fear. One day, she walked into a spider web and did a week's worth of cardio, you know, in, in just a few moments. I mean, it was, it was crazy a lot. So, but, but, you know, and, and when she rec- recognized when she was, uh, when we were first married and we had these young kids, she would see spiders and she would flip out, okay? She'd flip out and our kids 
um, they began to pick up on this. And pretty soon, our little boys, you know, I'm trying to raise these men of God, and they'd see spiders, and they were all, ah! And I said, no, 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 this is not going. This is not how my boys are going to act. That is not going to work. And so we began to deal with that. But I, I think at some point, Rhonda really began to deal with that. And she's still creeped out by spiders, but she doesn't have an irrational fear anymore that it was another level. Does that make sense? And, uh, and so, so sometimes these things are in our lives. And, and I, I eventually went to, um, when we were, uh, kids were still fairly young, but I eventually went to this retreat thing, and they were praying for all kinds of topics. And one of the topics was they brought people to the front and said, come on, we're going to pray over anybody that's dealing with fear. And I, you know, here's my thought on altar calls. You know, we're doing a lot more of those lately around here. But no matter where I am, if somebody calls me to the front, I'm going to go. I figure maybe there's something God has for me up there that, you know, that I'm not going to get if I stay in my seat. So I'm always going to every altar call. I just went to a conference, and they had an altar call at one point, and I thought, I didn't really totally relate to what the guy was saying that the call was for, but I thought, ah, I'm going to go up anyway because maybe there's something God wants to speak to me or do in me, right? So, so I just, I don't know, you know. So anyway, uh, but this in, in this case, the guy said, I want to pray for, we want to pray for people that are dealing with fear, and he mentioned a few other things. So I went to the front, and, and I began to feel a peace in my life that was so different. And I, I'm going to tell you, even this week, I, wa- I was thinking about this, and I was walking through this building. It was nighttime. I was walking through the downstairs, and I, I was just kind of thinking about that for a moment. I thought, I don't feel that anymore. I have no problem walking through a dark building anymore. It doesn't bother me anymore. You know, I just, I don't even think, in fact, I sort of have this feeling like, just try something, devil, you know. <laughs> I'm going to bust your chops, you know. And, um, and seriously, I just, I, it's just gone from my life, and I just don't feel that anymore. I'm so thankful to God. And so, so but even though I've been set free from fear, I really have. I, I, I got to tell you, when it comes to this month, this particular month, I've begun to dread the month of October. And because and, and, you can't go into any store right this time of year without seeing grotesque images of death and horror, the commercials on TV, it's just like every commercial has got zombies in it or something else. You know, I just don't like, I don't like looking at that kind of stuff, right? And it's just, oh, stop it, you know? And, and there's every show has a Halloween theme and they're all, you know, there's all this gross stuff and uh, it, it, the, some of the movies that are coming out, they show previews and it's just just horror. It's just, you should never see things like this. You should never have your kids see stuff like this. You can call me a sissy if you want. I don't really care. It's not, I'm not afraid of those images, and I'm not afraid of monsters. I'm afraid, no, that's the wrong word. I'm concerned for people who's, and kids who are seeing stuff like this, and it, may, it doesn't make me afraid anymore. It makes me mad is what it makes me. When I see this stuff in stores and when I see this stuff on TV and when I see, and I see a generation growing up with unbelievable fear and strongholds of fear in their life and I think, man, we have got to watch out for our kids with this kind of stuff. We've got to watch out. You know, and, and when it comes to watching horror movies and think, come on, parents, come on. Can, do I have to tell you this? Don't let your kids watch that stuff, right? You know, if, what they do when they move out of the house is up between them and God. But while they're in your house, the horror shows, that's, it's, it's just, it, it's the worst. I don't know if it's the worst, but it's bad. Um, it's bad enough. That's what it is. So I'm concerned that, that for the real evil that's in the world, I'm concerned for the door that may be open to the enemy to get strongholds in people's lives. Now, before I go too far, I understand as Christians, we can overreact to certain things. Like the people who have said that Satan and Santa have the same letters in their name, so therefore that's one and the same. Okay, we, we don't need to go there, right? <laughs> Do we really need to talk about that? 
let's, we can have fun with Santa when we can tell our kids that we, you know what I'm saying? We can tell our kids that, that the true giver of all life and good things is God, the giver of good gifts, the father of lights in whom there's no turning of shadows. There's no weirdness. He's not sneaking down your chimney. He's with you right now, right? And so, so it doesn't have to be like we, an either-or kind of a situation. And our church, almost every year uh, until very recently, has always had some kind of a harvest party. My kids never went trick-or-treating, always because we had a harvest party. There's plenty of that kind of stuff to do in town. I'm not saying if your kids go trick-or-treating, it's evil. I know it's mostly just to get candy. I understand that. You know, God bless them. <laughs> it's great. You know, I think the dentists really appreciate that. So, but... But here's the deal. I, I just say, uh, you know, it's the whole idea of the celebrating evil, that kind of thing. I think we need to figure out ways to redeem things like that and make them good and not, not hurt our kids in such a way. No, you know, because kids, kids like to dress up. It's fun for them, okay? It's cool. Let them do it. Figure out another way for them to celebrate that doesn't open doors to evil and horror and fright, okay? All right. That was a little bit of a tangent. Forgive me for that, but no, nah, don't forgive me. I'm going to do it anyway, so. All right. <laughs> But, but the works of Satan and the work of Satan can be manifested in many different ways. And this is not an all-inclusive list, but let me give you a few things to think about here. So it can be through uh, sickness and pain. Again, that's a sometimes thing. Just because someone is sick, just because someone's in pain does not mean their demon is involved. Okay, come on. Let's get our heads screwed on straight. People go there sometimes, though. But habitual kinds of sins, sins that people can't get rid of, uh, and then that kind of leads into, like, addictions that are sexual in nature, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, sadism, masochism. We could keep on going with a whole lot of isms there, but we don't need to do that. Uh, compulsive, lying or cheating. I'm not saying someone, if they tell a lie or they cheat, or that, that they've got a demon. Please don't misunderstand. Don't get out of balance here, people. But understand that somebody who's compulsively doing things over and over and over again... There may be more involved here than we see. There's uh, some kinds of addictions to drugs and alcohol, pornography, gaming, gambling, food, all these things. Like you could go on with these addictions. Am I saying everybody that does any of those things has an evil spirit? Again, no. But I'm saying that sometimes that's the reason this thing is like an addiction. They can't let it go. They need to be, this one may surprise you, extreme pride. People that just exude so much pride in their lives, sometimes there can be a spirit involved. Any kind of occult practices, without a doubt, definitely opens the easy door for the enemy. Some psychological disorders, not all. Some physiological disorders, not all. Okay? This is an area that you may not think about, but the Bible is replete with examples of people who bring division and divisiveness and all kinds of stuff to the church. And, and there's really an evil spirit behind that. And in one point, Paul gets so upset, he says, turn that guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Let's get, let's get this dealt with. He doesn't need to even be in the body, right? Let's get this guy dealt with. And the idea was that he would be destroyed in his flesh, but so that he could be restored to God. And then uh, things like, believe it or not, idleness, gossip, and slander can actually be along that same line. Violence, anger. You know, there's all kinds of things. It's like the guy who said, I don't need anger management. I need people to stop making me mad is what I need, right? That dude's got a problem. He might want to get some prayer there. <laughs> but you could, again, you could go on and make a very long list here. I want to be clear that just because we may have a problem in any one of these areas I mentioned does not necessarily mean that an evil spirit is involved. There's another, work at, at, uh, another thing at work here that is called the flesh, Everybody's got flesh. Everybody, the, the works of the flesh, the Bible says, are obvious. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you the truth. We can sin just fine on our own. We don't really even need help from the devil. 
right? You know? I mean, a lot of times it's just the devil may make a suggestion, but in our flesh, we're the one who reach out and grab that fruit from the tree because our flesh wants it. You see, there was a temptation, but that wasn't, that wasn't possession of an evil spirit in the garden. It was just him making a suggestion. Well, here's some ideas for you, Eve. What do you think? And she looks at the fruit, but then she began to process and say, well, it does look good for food, and it does. I want to be wise, and, you know, and that, that all sounds good. And, you know, she did it in the flesh. So, so we can sin fine on our own. But if you see extreme examples of some of these things we just talked about, there may be more than meets the eye to this. Some people have asked a question, can a Christian have a demon? I've always loved Pastor Jack's answer to that, Pastor Jack Hayford, who in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way would say, why would you want one? <laughs> I like that answer. But I do wish the Bible were clearer on this subject. I'm, I'm the kind, you know, if, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you this is true. I really like things organized. I like things in easy-to-define lists and like this is one thing, this is another. I like black and white. I like those kinds of things. And make, I like clarity. I don't like gray area. I don't like this overlap sometimes. It kind of makes me a little bit nervous, like, uh, okay. I'm just being real, but, but, but what, here's what I believe on this idea of possession. Let me talk about this for a few moments. There's a couple of words in the New Testament that are primarily used to describe what we call possession. And the first word is this. It means to hold back or detain, to hold back or detain. And the second means under the power of a demon. So in the Greek language and a number of languages on the earth, the, one cannot speak of being possessed, use that word possessed, by a demon. A more appropriate expression would be to say that the person possesses a demon. And that's, that's very, very different in some languages. We may see that as synonymous, but it's not. Another way to say it is, the de- this is kind of a, a grotesque thing to think about, but to say that the demon rides the person, like riding the person, or the demon commands the person. When we say possession in English, we're probably saying something different than they would have understood in the early uh, language, in the Greek language of the New Testament. Uh, we, we have this idea that they're, they're owned by, okay? Owned by. And that's not at all what the New Testament is saying when, when we're talking about this idea. So, so uh, we might use that word to describe us with the Lord now, that we are possessed by Him, and that's a good thing to be possessed by, if you may understand me like that we belong to him we were bought with the price and we belong and it's i, I want to be possessed by the holy spirit i want to be possessed by god I, i'm owned by him that's okay with me right in fact what even angela was saying about our money the thing we've got to get perspective on is is not that he we owe him the 10 percent. is that he owns it all it's all his, and you were, you were alluding to that and saying that. So, so that's the idea. He not only owns me, but he owns my money. He owns my family. He owns it all, and that's great. But, but that is not the same thing that's going on when it comes to the demonic influence that happens in people's lives. I mean, it could, but, there, but it could be that some people who are not believers could be possessed in that way by a demon, I think. And, and this is where it come, becomes kind of this gray area or, or a little bit hard to understand all of it. But, but it's impossible for me to imagine that the, that the place that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence, even though I sin, we all sin, right? But, but it's impossible for me for, to believe that there's any room for anything but the Holy Spirit in my life. 
right? And, and so, so I'm dealing with stuff. So where, what's happening then? Because we still see believers, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life, people who manifest all kinds of behaviors that we, that we know that can't be from God. Like, how does that happen? We see believers who have given place to the devil in some way that they need to be delivered from this, and we'll use a different word here, oppression of demonic influence in their lives. Believers can be oppressed. They can be harassed. They can be dominated by, this, by Satan's activity. I believe that. He, listen, the devil has no legal authority to do this, but he's a trespasser and a thief. He, he comes as a trespasser and a thief and tries to get advantage over people. And so believers, now we can feel out of control in certain areas of our life. Like the boy whose mom told him, don't jump on the bed. And after several warnings, she, uh, and even punishing him, she, explaining that he could fall, she finally said, uh, don't, don't jump on the beds, and left him alone for a while. Several minutes passed, she found him jumping on another bed. And she, she found him and said, what are you doing? I told you not to jump on the bed. And he said, I'm trying so hard to quit. And that's the way we are sometimes as believers. We're, we're like, I I'm, I'm keep doing the things I don't want to do. Does that sound familiar? I keep on doing things I don't intend to do, and what is going on? What's going on in me, or what's, what's happening in my life that this happens this way? So believers aren't immune to the things I put on that list, by the way, right? But I, I, though I do believe that a demon can possess an unbeliever like that man who had a legion of demons, I do not believe a demon can possess, in that kind of thinking, a, a believer, so what's happening when a believer begins to manifest in very, very odd ways like this? Well, one thing could be is that that person isn't truly born again. They may have said they made a, said a prayer at one time. They may show up at church. You know the old saying, just going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car, right? So, so it may be something like that where somebody thinks, well, I, I prayed a prayer. I'm in. Well, I don't think it's like that. I think a prayer is like maybe a starting place. And then you've got to be manifesting a life toward God at that point. You know, there's no, there's no ticket to heaven is simply believing in him, but believing is something you continually do over and over, all right? You keep after it. But then the second thing is the influence of a demon, and this is, I think, my major point, which I'm going to finish my message talking about this, is not from an internal source, but from an external one. And the example of this is found in Ephesians chapter 4, if, and it's going to be on the screen here. See, if we're believers, we need to understand that Satan has been, has been, his rights of ownership over people have been absolutely taken away, taken away and robbed from him. So we used to belong to him, but we don't anymore. Now the only way he can attack us is if we give him the right through our sin of negligence or other kinds of sin in our lives. Now, uh, Ephesians 4, 26, familiar passage. We usually focus on the first part here. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. It's dealing with one kind of sin here. And then it follows this up, though, with this phrase. It says, and do not give the devil a what? Foothold. Paul is speaking to believers. Listen, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the believers in this passage. He says, we're all members of one body, meaning the body of Christ, right? And then he goes on and mentions those who, believers, if you keep reading the, around this, he talks about people who are stealing, who are lazy, who are greedy, who allow unwholesome talk to come out of their mouths. It talks about them grieving the Holy Spirit, that they're bitter, filled with rage, brawling, slander, malice. I don't believe that's an all-inclusive list, but it's given to point out that believers are dealing with the same kinds of issues that the world is dealing with. And, and then he 
gives this idea of we must not give the devil a foothold. Many years ago, I was an associate pastor at the church in Foursquare Church in Ellensburg, and there was a man who was in leadership in our church and on the worship team and, and really very involved. And after a while, we, we discovered and we found out that this man was having an affair. And, uh, and it was just a gut-wrenching moment for our church. His wife, of course, was devastated. He had three kids. I think we're probably like 9, 11, and 13 at the time. And just a tender age for something like this to happen in their lives. So, so as we do as a church, we, you know, we talk about here's a sin. Let's repent. Yes, he repented. He did a public confession, at least to the leadership and, and uh, to the pastors. And we dealt with that. And then we met with this guy regularly and began to talk to him. And... Uh, and over time, and one of, the, one of the times I was meeting with him, I just, I just began to talk, and he was telling me, he said, Sal, it was like this. He said, because he would walk to work. He didn't live very far from where he worked. And he said, I would walk home from work at 3 in the afternoon, and as I would get, there was one street corner. I'd get there, and I could turn left to go to my house, or I could turn right to go to this woman's house. He says, I felt completely out of control. I'd get to that intersection, and I would turn, and I'd feel like I had no choice in the matter but to turn right. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever felt like that about a certain thing in your life, but, but I really believe what was going on in that man's life is that not that a demon possessed him, and, and another term that Jack Hayford uses, he talks about handles, that, that, that the devil gets a foothold or a handle. It's almost like you have a handle on your side, and he begins to pull you off course. And you think, how come I'm turning here? How come I'm going this way instead of that way? How come I'm heading towards sin instead of toward righteousness? And you don't understand that the devil's just, he, he, has, he, has, uh, he doesn't have a possession of your insides, but on the outside, he's got a hold of you, and he's pulling you in a direction that maybe you think, I don't want to go there, but I'm going there anyway. How can this be? Let me put it another way. Have you ever tried climbing on a climbing wall? How many have tried that before? Yeah? A few of you, good. Well, it, it, you know, it's kind of fun until you get like three feet off the floor and you start worrying a little bit, you know. But, um, but they have all these little devices, these little rock-looking things, uh, attached to the wall to put your, grab a hold of with your hands and put your feet on as you begin to propel yourself upward. And, and this is what sin can be like for the Christian person. Our sins that we commit continue to allow uh, in our lives these footholds that, that are uh, on us, if you will, and that the devil gets a chance to put his hands on, if you will, and begins again to get ground, to gain control, to gain access to our lives. But imagine if we're living clean, and the devil comes to get an advantage on us, and he comes to the wall, and there's, it's just a clean wall. You know? <laughs> he can scratch that wall all he wants. He's not going to get any access. Another, maybe a different example. Have you ever seen a greased pig contest? Those are fun, <laughs> especially when they send a bunch of little kids out there chasing this greased pig. How hilarious is that? It's a hoot, I tell you. But, and I don't know what they greased that poor little pig with, but, uh, but I'm just telling you, those kids running around, they, they, they're just right there, and they try to grab that greased pig, and he just slips out between their hands every time. It's so much fun. And, uh, but, but for the believer, for the believer, living in holiness, living in righteousness, living according to God's word is like grease on the outside of us, if you will. And the devil thinks, I'll get that same foothold or that hold on you that I had before, and he goes for us, and there's not, he can't. We just slide right out of his grasp every time. And so, he, so the devil comes along. He's looking for a way to steal. He's looking for a way to kill and destroy. That's his job description. But he's coming up empty-handed in the lives of people who are putting their trust in the Lord. You could substitute the word for foothold of this idea of an opportunity. 
Believers, listen to me. By giving in in areas of sin in our lives, we are giving an opportunity to the devil. And sometimes we've given the devil so much opportunity that to get free from his influence is going to take more than a casual approach. The word foothold in the Greek is topos, where we get the prefix for our word topography. As believers, we give a place to the devil that getting it back is going to, in some cases, mean a fight. I'll tell you one more story from my life, and then we're going to finish with some worship. Back uh, in, and I've told this story before, but I, th- I think it bears repeating here. Back in, uh, it had to have been 90, uh, excuse me, 89, um, my son was about 18, 18 months old, my oldest son, Andrew. And I, I, my mom was alive back then, and I called her on the phone. I said, Mom, um, send me some photos of when I was about that age, will you? Because she had a big, massive uh, photo uh, catalogs and stuff of all of our pictures she took when we were young. Send me, send me some pictures, will you? I, I really want to see if Andrew looks like, you know, typical dad thing. Like, I want to see if my son looks like me, right? And uh, sure enough, he did. <laughs> anyway, um, so... So anyway, she sends me this box of pictures, and I'm going through them, and I'm just kind of giggling, and I'm looking at some of the similarities and some of these cute pictures, some I hadn't seen for years and years and years. And one in particular, and, and after I saw it, I had remembered that I'd seen it as a young kid, but I hadn't seen it in many years. But, uh, but it was my father and me. Now, the backstory to that is my, my mom had an affair, and I didn't grow up with my father, so, so he uh, only visited once in a while, and it wasn't for me, let me just be real about that. He wanted to spend time sexually with my mother, ended up having three children by her, but it was always just an affair, even though there were promises where he would uh, say to her, you know, I'll leave my wife, I'll be with you, but it never happened. And he really manipulated my mother. And it, was, it was a bad thing, but the good thing that came out of it is I was born. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Amen. So, so anyway, I see this picture of, and I know this man's my father, and, and uh, we're walking down a road together. I think it was in the fall, if I remember right, the, the trees, you know, turn it like this time of year, they're all yellow leaves on the ground and real beautiful. And, and we're both, for some reason, wearing suits, which is really weird. I'm this little 18-month-old in a suit and a tie, and he's got a, a black, and he looks very nice in this black suit, and he's holding my hand, and we're walking down a road together. And it's like, that stunned me. I saw that picture, and instead of being happy that that moment had happened in my life, I began to rage inside. I got so angry. I started just like, I started thinking about, this is what it should have been. You understand? Listen, you brought me into this world. You should have been there for me. And I started begin to just inside, I was boiling inside. And I, I just, I went to Rhonda, and again, we had Andrew at home, and I said, I need to go, I need to go. And I grabbed my Bible, and I grabbed that picture, and I got in my car, and I drove about a half an hour away to a very remote place. And I set that picture up on the dash of my car, and I just sat there and stared at it for a while. And then, I'll just be real with you, I, I, don't, I don't ever cuss, but I said some stuff, that I, words I had not used in years that day. I, le- I just, man, there was sewer coming out of my mouth. And I said all kinds of stuff, and I just began to, if somebody had walked by, they would have called the cops and said, there's a crazy man in that car. I began to scream and yell at that photo, because I was dealing with so much rage that I didn't even know was there. And I was just, just screaming and yelling, and, and then, then I'd realize what I was doing, and I'd turn to God, and I'd say, oh God, I, you know, and tears would begin to flow, and I just sat there. I did this for hours, three hours, 
and nobody prayed over me, but I just, I'm going to tell you, I was delivered of a demonic foothold in my life of anger and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness toward my father. I came out of that experience so clean and so free. It was a total difference for me, total difference. And, and I, used to, I used to literally get called into my, the main pastor's office. He'd call me in regularly. Someone else is offended by you. Oh, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, what, what do I do now? And they say, well, you did this, you said this, whatever. And I'd be like, and I would get mad, and I'd say, that's not what the Bible says. They're supposed to come and talk to me, and I would rage again. Right? And he, I, don't, I don't know if he knew how to deal with me, honestly. I was a mess. But after that, I didn't offend people like that anymore. And if I've offended any of you, believe me, it was unintentional. <laughs> But what I'm saying is whether you have to drive away and do it by yourself or you come for prayer or you get some people around you in a small group or you do it husband and wife or as a family, however you do this, you've you got to get to the understanding that you're not going to get back ground that you've given to the enemy without a fight. Okay? You've got you to go for it. We have to contend to get that land back, that topography back from the devil. It's not his. He doesn't own it. He's only got a foothold. We're going to pull those footholds loose in Jesus' name as we can walk in freedom and deliverance in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on back up. To be truly free, we have to understand how our freedom has been procured. We need to see clearly what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus, through his body and through his blood, opened up a way for us to be free of sins. And the power of sin also, not just the sins that we've committed, but the power of sin in our lives. He also freed us, listen to this, from sicknesses and sorrows as well on the cross. And thirdly, he defeated and freed us from the enemy. The three S's, sins, sickness, and Satan were taken care of on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ as he died there for us. They're, they're, so we, listen, so here's what we need to understand as a believer. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. The victory is not of our own doing. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's how we enter into the victory. And we remove strongholds and footholds by first understanding and claiming the freedom that Jesus gained for us on the cross. By confessing our sin and choosing to live by the power. Listen, you and I cannot just say, I will not sin anymore. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, we need His power. We need a baptism of the Spirit so we can walk in that kind of freedom that He has for us. Do you understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about simply speaking in tongues as wonderful as that is, and what a wonderful thing that indeed is, and all the other gifts that come, but one of the greatest works that the Holy Spirit will do in your life and my life is help us to walk in freedom from sin. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want to finish with a familiar passage. Would you stand and read it with me? From Romans chapter 8. We could put that on. Did I put that on? It's not on there. Never mind, I'll read it to you. But you know it. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise of freedom. We thank you for the promise of 
that, that we cannot, God, nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love and your care for us. And Lord, we want to deal in real ways today where maybe some of us have been dealing with things in our life where we feel out of control or we feel like we're not really getting victory like we know we ought to. And Lord, we want to be real about that stuff. We want to, we want to Lord, have the oil of your anointing poured over us so that we are not able to be grasped by things of the enemy. We want to remove every stronghold or handle or opportunity that maybe we've given the enemy by certain kinds of sin in our life. And God, we want to be set free people today. And Lord, we pray that if anyone is here who is, is in some way struggling and needs to be freed, I pray that you would set them free today as we pray and as we worship. God, may we begin to be people in this community of believers right here that walk in the freedom of Christ through the cross. Thank you for it, Lord God. You've done great things for us. We're no longer slaves to any kind of sin, no fear or any other kind of thing. Not anger, nothing. We're no longer slaves. You, we've overcome. We've overcome by the blood of Jesus. Thank you. The enemy is defeated. If you agree, say amen. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.